Good morning, Josh. It is so good to see you. Jeez, there's that bundle of energy. Um, look, folks, I just, before we even start, I want to let you know that Dave's, Wake like, up. Dave's like super hyper in the mornings. And as long as I've known this man, he's been beyond hyper in the mornings. When I first met him, this guy was drinking like, I don't know, gallons of coffee. It was insane. Um, and like, <laughs> he, will, he would be so hyper and come up to me like, hey, Josh, hey, Mr. Sunshine. And I, I'd be so grouchy because it's like early. And I'd look at him like, what's wrong with you, man? It's like too early. But yeah, I mean. There's all yeah. different kinds of people in the world, Josh. I peak yeah. by about, I peak by about 1130 AM. I'm in bed by 10. How's everything with you? Okay. Yeah, good, good. I'm um, trying to keep busy. Um, and uh, yeah. Well, that was a- that was awesome with the the Special Olympics a couple of weeks ago, huh? Oh, absolutely. You yeah, know, it, it was a huge, huge honor. It was yeah. a huge honor. And it was great that we were able to squeeze that in on the last day of April because originally in May, we were actually helping a good buddy curate um, a, a whole project for the Special Olympics that was really, really exciting. Um, absolutely. And unfortunately, obviously, that got canceled due to social distancing and the pandemic yeah all that wonderful stuff um but speaking of um let's just let's just bring him on because i'm so excited to have our guest on today and he is the guy that was hooking us up with that he's done a lot of incredible community work um our guest today he's done a lot of incredible stuff in general yeah yeah uh in fact i had to write a little ted talk right here about it um our guest today is a management consultant who prides himself on fixing broken businesses. Uh, He's an entrepreneur and accomplished keynote speaker. He's also a producer of TEDx Farmingdale. And since meeting him almost a year ago, he's become a dear friend and mentor of Josh and I. Uh, He's the first guest to have to come back on the show due to us (laughs) not pressing the record button. That was Um, embarrassing. Everyone, we are so proud to have live from his living room, George Andriopoulos. George, good to have you on, bud. Hello, boys. Hello. What's going right, do on? Do I get the music again. here? Do I get the music? Can I? Can oh, I walk? I'll put. I'll put it I'm in. Gonna, hold on. I'm gonna. Let me see if I could pipe it in. Hold on. Let me. <laughs> let me walk into my theme. Can you hear this? At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, I sure can. Launch sequence. I'm piping it in. Launch sequence. Woo! <laughs> it's it's just like WWE entrance music. <laughs> But now yeah, when you walk into the room, is hip hop like really cool hip hop music starts playing? Well, let me let me let me give you a little story about that. So, I years ago designed a wrestler. If I were ever to become a wrestler, I designed this wrestler from top to bottom, including theme music. So his name is Muscles Marinara. <laughs> muscles, not Muscles Marinara, but Muscles Marinara. Of course, right and. So his gimmick is he's like an eight, he's a throwback eighties, like oily long hair dude, right? So he's, so he's wearing Jordache jeans, right? He's wearing Jordache jeans. He's wearing like a white tank top. He's got neon colored, like bicep tassels, long flowing hair. And I walk in to ready. It's journey separate ways. And I walk in and I have two bottles of Aquanet in my hands. And as soon as the hits, I come marching down the aisle and I'm just spraying Aquanet everywhere I go. That's my my gimmick, the muscles marinara. 
So now have you know. You ever, have you ever done this, George? I may have done this at the office a few times. <laughs> so, folks, you can see why we mentioned George on almost every episode of SLA. He's uh, quite a character and has a lot of energy, not just in the morning, but all day and all night. So, George, it's awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, so thanks for thank that. Adventures and grocery shopping stuff. Oh, isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah, George makes everything into like a. Um, I don't want to say a self-promotion. A production. A show. A reality show. He's, yeah, my whole life is a reality show. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's really cool to see. So it, that includes grocery shopping. And I'm not just yeah. talking about during social distancing and all the complications with grocery shopping. It has gotten the, – the season has taken a turn since then. But George has been uh, documenting his trips to the grocery store with his awesome wife um, for, for months. And it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, he's Listen, a big we, joke guy, but, but anyway, Josh, let's talk, let's talk shop here. Um, why don't we, why don't we talk to George a little bit about, about whatever you wanted to talk to George about? All right. Well, I just, well, first off, I mean, I just asked, how do you, did you end up on SLA today? How did I end up at SLA today? Okay. So, so, we could talk about for a minute the uh, the faux pas, right? The the technical glitch, the the wardrobe <laughs> malfunction that caused the loss of one of the greatest podcast episodes ever. Let's walk it. Let's walk it all the way back. Let's walk it. <laughs> so, how did I end up here? So, Dave and Josh. So, I uh, I had decided, uh, man, well over a year ago. Um, after my TEDx journey had brought me to a point where I was trying to get on the main TEDx stage, right? I'm a two-time TEDx speaker. I was having trouble getting onto the main TED stage, you know, the one in Canada that they do annually. Um, and it was a big goal of mine. And so what I decided was that I wanted to get behind the mind of a speaker. I wanted to work with other speakers and watch their process, learn how they cultivate their talks in order to become a better speaker myself. And so to do that, I decided that I would become the organizer and executive producer of my own TED event, which is TEDx Farmingdale. I applied through TED, got a license, and, uh, and we were holding our first event on September 7th of last year. So enter Dave and Josh, who sent in an application to speak, and I immediately sort of jumped at that application seeing like how different it was when I'm looking for, for a talk through on my stage, I'm not only looking for something that's impactful. I'm looking for unique talks, looking for um, something that's really going to stand out in the crowd. And so first of all, a duo is unique on the TEDx stage to begin with. Um, but just the messaging that these guys were bringing to the table. And although I knew it sort of wasn't, hundred percent there yet. I knew there was so much potential in this talk. Uh, and so, you know, throughout that application process, I got to know Dave and Josh a little bit and subsequently they were accepted, uh, to speak on the stage and, you know, and then boom, we just went through our whole journey through that TEDx event, which was so, so incredible. And working with you guys was honestly, it was a dream. It was, it was awesome. It was so much Thank fun. You. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, created, you affected some major change. And, you know, the best part was that throughout that process, we became friends as well. And, and since then, really, the three of us have been inseparable. Yeah, I would say I would say that we could have like our own sitcom. 
I was thinking about how the, there's that expression, Josh, do you know about the fifth Beatle? So there were four Beatles, and then there was like this producer guy named George Martin, I think, and he was the fifth Beatle. Like he was never on stage, but he was like helping out. He was so so important in the legacy of the band, the Beatles. I just that that's kind of that's kind of George, you know. He's not. Yeah, I'd say so. He's not a that's rocker, like you know, like in in that analogy, he's not. He wouldn't have been on stage. He doesn't have autism. He wasn't. He's not an educator or anything like that. He found us. He. Help shape us and support us. The fifth beetle. That's it. I'm the fifth beetle. Add that to your add that to your little uh, elevator pitch there. Uh, it's done. Done. <laughs> beetle. Yeah. No. That that I I I love that story. And I love how you tell it because uh, it was it was such a there was so much energy in those couple months and it was so cool to be part of such a uh, community. Yeah. It wasn't just a lot of people um, don't know that that TEDx is all about the producer and how the person wants to curate the event and not everyone curates the, the event the same way as George. So George yeah. create, created like a true community within this, the speakers, the people from all different walks of life, all different ages and politics and backgrounds and, 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 uh, all and expertise. And we all um, supported each other and, and um, grew so much during that process. So we'll never forget it. So you volunteered with many organizations, including the Special Olympics, um, and you often speak about leadership and community community engagement. Uh, what made you want to be a role model for um, young people? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I guess it was the fact that I was the anti-role model for so many years. Um, I sort of use this, this quote a lot. Um, especially as of late, but it's something that I said uh, about two years ago in a speech. Um, I had this, uh, this incredible honor that I was receiving, incredible to me at least. Uh, and it was really like a big full circle moment where I had to really sit down and just look at this whole journey. Um, and, you know, and I've made no secret of this, that years ago, I just wasn't really uh, a person that I was a fan of um, in terms of my place in the world, right? Um, and so I, I, I said this line that really rings true. It was that for the first 30 or so years of my life, I was an average citizen of this planet at best. And I knew that with my potential and, and what was inside of me, that it deserved more than just what I was giving it, you know? Uh, and so when I made that self-realization and I kind of went through this personal journey, uh, to change and to become a better, a better dude, you know, uh, just somebody that actually, um, cares and, and becomes a servant leader and is there for others, uh, in order to affect some major change in this world. That's kind of when all that kicked in. And so for the, for the first few years of that, I didn't really feel like a mentor because I was really just working on myself big time. Um, and once that happened and once I started actually doing things that, you know, not only made me proud, but, but uh, was really creating some change and, and could make others proud, could, be, could make my family proud. That's when I started feeling those mentorship vibes, you know. Like through your process to greatness or to the position that you're in now, being able to help other, other people, um, it was a rocky road and it was, it was overcoming your own challenges that, that helped you get there. You know what I mean? But when you talk about being able to help others transform, that in itself is greatness, right? Uh, 
um, you know, when, when you're putting good out into the world and, and really, you know, doing something that could help other people, that that's greatness. And so I don't ever want it to apply to me at all. I just want, you know, the act of doing something like that, the act of mentoring others, the act of helping others to, uh, to be the greatness that I'm, that I'm putting out there. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a really strange, but, uh, but cool journey, you know, especially as of late, um, getting into this leadership coaching and stuff like that. Uh, the transformation that I've seen in people that I'm working with is like, it's just so satisfying. It, it really is. It's been a lot of fun. Um, speaking of like the leadership thing, one thing, um, I, I mean, I have questions written down, but it's one thing I just got to say, and, um, is that this dude is also like hands on one of the most like generous guys ever. Um, for just for example, um, so and I know you you probably are gonna figure out where I'm going with this reason. Um, I think like February, right? We George said, Hey, you wanna meet me at a diner, right? Um, and I'm like, Yeah, sure. So we, we, we met by a diner and we are he's we're talking about like leadership, um, SLA, things like that. And uh, he, he knows I'm a watch guy, so he he pretty much he takes out this bag with a box in it. And um, like I look at it, and like there, it's it was a Rolex, and like a what? And, yeah, literally, no, and literally no strings attached. Like, uh, who, did you say who, a Rolex? Yeah, like who? Like seriously, like who do you know who like does that? And like he explained the reason why, like you know about leadership and what it represents, and um, and the reason why he's giving it. But like, who, just like think about like who do you know? in your life would give you a multi-thousand dollar Rolex for free. I mean, it's like insane, but I mean, this guy did. And I mean, things like that, it's like that, that's to inspire the next generation of leadership where if you're in a position where you can do something like that and you do it, that that's not saying that's doing leadership. And um, that that's really something. You know? So why, why did you give Josh the Rolex, George? Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna say let's back that up before I start getting the messages again like last time. <laughs> people are like, can I have a Rolex? <laughs> what people were asking? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you had posted, uh, you had posted something like pretty immediate. It was actually the reason that I had to make that little video that I made to sort of uh, create an explanation because I got multiple messages from people asking me for a Rolex. <laughs> this guy's over here giving out Rolexes. <laughs> All right. So what was that about? Um, you know, so I got to know you guys throughout the TEDx process. And uh, I, of course, noticed, you know, uh, some of your your joys in life, your um, your hobbies and your, uh, you know, the, the goals that you aspire to be. I know that you you have a goal to own a jet one day. And I know that you love watches and, and uh, you always talked about getting a Rolex. And so as we work together, I know you came to a couple of my leadership workshops and we talked about the, um, the purpose uh, behind what we do, the purpose yeah. behind our leadership, and to make sure that that purpose is always benevolent, to make sure that it's always something that you're doing for the good of others rather than for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that how sometimes those material things become a distraction. For me specifically, it was a big teachable moment just to even do that because something like that for me 15 20 years ago was the driving force behind things I did to get a Rolex you know to get the nice car just to show people that I had it that's what it was about and so 
I fell into some traps and some, you know, um, real, just, just, uh, the environment that I was in, um, this environment of competition and, and measuring everything by success and wealth just wasn't healthy for me, uh, all those years ago. And it was because of things like that. And so seeing that in you, uh, I tried to mentor you in a direction where that's not important. That stuff will come as a byproduct of doing good things. So I wanted to show you with all the work that you had put in this year, how these things just will happen for you. So this Rolex for me was probably, I think it was my first Rolex. Um, my, my dad and I are like hobbyists with watches and he does this whole tag sale and auction thing for years now as his hobby. Um, and so that was my first Rolex that was bought at an auction. It wasn't anything crazy, just like an Oyster Perpetual. Is that what it was? Uh, precision. Uh, Oyster Precision. precision, And it was nice, but it was still beat up. Like, the, you know, the, um, uh, the band on it was a little outstretched. I didn't know if it kept good time. Um, and so I gave it to you more as a symbol of like, hey, here's this watch. Um, You've earned it with the good that you've done this year. Keep doing it. And then if you want to feel like you've actually earned the value of this, then fix it over time. You know what I mean? So it was more of a symbol of like, hey, man, good things come when you do good things. Um, make the goal something better than just getting a Rolex. That, that's kind of what it was about. Yeah, and uh, that's why I really took away from it. And um yeah, I mean, it, it like, reshaped a lot of, like, my perspective of just things uh, going forward. Like, like always whenever you're going to make, like, a, a big decision or something, are you doing it for the right reason or are you doing it for something, like, internally, which is not, like, beneficial for, like, everyone? And I've been thinking about something like that. So that really did open up a lot. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yes, and thank you so much. Um, I have learned a lot from you. Um what have you learned from me? Oh, man. The student has become the master, huh? What have I learned from you? I have learned even more about perseverance. I have learned that um, change and transformation comes in all different shapes and sizes. And it's really, really, really cool to watch other people's journeys. Um, you know, this whole life that I've been through, uh, and by the way, amazing, right? Like I, I, I talk about just th this change 10 years ago and, and whatever. And uh, it, I think it comes off sometimes this big traumatic thing. And it was, a, you know, a traumatic series of events that sort of caused me to start changing as a person, but, you know, make no mistake. I had some great times even before that. And during that, um, but sometimes when you go through something like that, it makes you think that in order for somebody to change, they really have to go through this like horrible period. And it's not always the case, you know, maybe sometimes mentorship can help somebody change. Uh, maybe it's like the small changes that, um, that really dictate who, who we become. And so watching tra the transformation and leadership in you has been like incredible. Um, but man, you've, you've overcome so much in your life, you know, just listening to your TED talk alone and going from a place of um, being bullied to now being an advocate for the underheard, 
Like that's huge, man. You know, so just watching this, it just shows me that perseverance comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of, proud of what you are doing, what you've been doing. Um, you know, and your partner in crime, Dave, uh, is an incredible dude also. And, you know, just happy to know you guys. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And you, to take it a step further, you never really, um, you're not personally affected in your own life by by autism. Um, no, none of your relatives necessarily are on the spectrum. Um, whereas a lot of people, chances are, either a neighbor, or a friend, or a family member, are are on the spectrum. Um, so you kind of, quite literally, probably learned a lot about the 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 depth and and the the vast um, the the vastness of of neurodiversity, right? Yeah, big time, big time. Um, you know, when when you get to a level of leadership where um, your time has to be split between your professional life, your personal life, and then the other stuff you do, your activism, your community endeavors, your charitable endeavors, you really start to learn to say no, and you really start to learn to um, streamline that. Like, it's almost like, all right, I want to be here as a resource for everybody that I can, but I can't be everything to everybody. And so with that comes this really weird thing of like, when you look at the charitable stuff, when you look at the activism, you go, all right, that, that area, that genre, it doesn't speak to me. It never really has. And so that's not something I'm going to get involved in because it's not something I'm, I'm passionate about. And so, you know, my work with the Ronald McDonald house uh, charities that I do is so close to my heart. The work that I do with Shannon's fight, the nonprofit that I co-founded in 2011 is so close to my heart. I've done some work with Habitat for Humanity. Um, autism was never really on the, <laughs> excuse the pun, but on the spectrum for me. <laughs> I mean, it, really, it really never was until it was and, and not for any personal reasons just right. by two guys like you opening my eyes you know opening my eyes and then you know seeing some stuff in the news over the course of the last year that really activated me and then just all of a sudden it was like yeah you know what I got a calling and this is something that I um I think I can help with in a very, very small way, you know, and as time goes on, we'll see what that turns into. Awesome. And um, Dave and I, one thing we know about you is that you're all about um, leadership and that can be in anything, be it business, family, advocacy, or what, whatever. Um, what, in your uh, personal opinion, makes a leader? Um. So you turned the tables on the question. Now. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. As I'm like in the mode, I'm getting ready for an interview tonight. Uh, yeah, so what makes a leader? I would have to say, first and foremost, it's the um, the desire to help others, first and foremost. So um, there's there are so many different kinds of leadership. When you look at leadership models, there's five leadership models. Uh, there's strength, strength-based leadership. There's servant leadership. Um, there's transformational leadership, you know? And so I used to fall under, or at least I thought I fell under strength-based leadership until I realized that that strength was more of like a, a crutch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I felt that I need to show off to others. And 
at a certain point, I realized that really my strengths lied in servant-based leadership, servant leadership, um, just being there for others, helping others to transform, helping others in whatever they need. Um, so I, th- I feel like first and foremost, I have to say that you have to have a desire to help others in order to be a leader and to lead others. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, you really have to have that desire to want to help others in order, uh, in order to lead others. And then there's so many nuances. It, it's so tough to answer this question further than that because there's so many nuances in leadership um, that I, I've even learned just from, from coaching it uh, as of late that it's, it's such a hard question for me, but I, I'd have to say that's my answer. It's got to be that desire to want to help others. When you want to help others, the rest sort of falls into place eventually. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, think, I think I see, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, George, but I'm a dad. And, and you have kids that are a little older um, than, than mine and, and you have one on the way, congratulations. Um, and I see, I, I, I have a feeling that a lot of your desire to be a leader is because you understand that, um, you know, the, the, the younger people and the people who, who need it the most are gonna be the people in charge of the world, um, you know, in a couple of years and are gonna be pushing you around in a wheelchair. And, and um, you know, it, there's a reason why you want to be a role model, but then there's why, why it's so important for, for there to be leaders. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I've been on the receiving end of that, you know, I'm a, I'm a student before I'm a leader. I consider myself a leader, but I'm, I'm absolutely someone who needs leadership. And um, I have been since I was a very vulnerable kid and, and so has Josh. So, um, yeah, we, we, we agree. Um, and that's, that's where our, our spark comes from our spark moment. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned being a dad and, and having kids, that's, I think that was part of the transformation. You know, when you asked me, uh, when I became a leader, when I, I felt that desire to be a mentor, um, you know, just watching my kids now become little human beings and, uh, not only just little human beings, but human beings that can actually affect other people, you know, cause now they're at one, they're, they're actually turning 10 and 12 this coming month, both of them. Oh. So they're at those ages where you really think back and go, Hey, how can, how are you two affecting other kids that you go to school with? Um, and you really, it's just this desire to to sort of give them that guidance. And of course, they're at that age where it's so hard to do it. But that's like my everyday practice. You know, you look at a, a, look at a basketball player. You look at, I've been watching the, the Last Dance documentary for the last four weeks now about the Chicago Bulls every Sunday night. And you see, you know, Michael Jordan, the best to ever play the game and the amount of work he put into what, he does right. The, like nobody ever practiced or put in the work that he did. And <laughs> that's why I feel like there's been such a change in the way I lead is because for the last 10 years or 12 years, really um, I've had these two little humans that I've been able to, to really lead uh, throughout the course of every single day of my life, every minute it's, it's practice for leadership and it's practice that really matters because you know, these are the two most important people in my life. 
as an accomplished speaker and leader, and as a solid, solid friend of SLA, I'm curious, what do you personally feel the future holds for autism advocacy? Oh, man, I'm excited about the future of autism advocacy. Um, you know, you guys are, uh, and this, this is going to sound silly because I think the three people in this room right now sometimes don't understand the, um, the effect that they have in the world. Right. And I, and I do fall into that category too, guys. Um, but you guys are really changing the game. I feel in, in terms of spreading awareness and being advocates and bringing uh, another medium to the table to do that. And, and why do I say that is because when I looked at this, this again, forgive the pun, the spectrum of the autism genre, um, it was very self-inclusive. And what I mean by that is that I know a lot of people in this world and they're like just in this world. They're not outside of this world. And I'm not talking about people on the spectrum. I'm talking about the advocates, the educators. Mm -hmm. And it was a very like, um, almost like there was a protective bubble around it, if you will. And that's how I saw it. Probably for good reason, by the way. Mm -hmm. And with you guys, it's one of the first times that I'm seeing that transition, right? Um, when you look at the country artist that hits the mainstream charts, right? Um, I like this. <laughs> it's, it's the first, it's really one of the first times, and maybe I'm just ignorant. Maybe I just, I'm not close enough to it to see everything that goes on. I'm sure there's more than just SLA in this case, but it's the first time that I've seen a transition that has tied a dude like me that knew nothing and, and had no place in this world to the autism world or vice versa has introduced people from inside the autism world to the outside world because what the hell's inclusion if we're not all doing it together, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's the future of autism advocacy. It's, it's you guys and people like you have been fighting and advocating for so long, so tirelessly that it has to evolve eventually, right? And what does that evolution look like? If we're fighting for inclusion, that next evolution is the inclusion. It's the part where we're all working together. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love that. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I mean, we've we've concentrated a lot on Hollywood, you know, a lot of other autism advocates, and it's such important work, but I'm not a clinician. I'm friends with a lot of them. I work very closely with them, but I'm not. I'm a excitable, big picture guy that's focused on employment, inclusion, friendship, unity, diversity, you know, and, and we, Josh has a, a somewhat narrow view of autism because he only has his experience. He has his friends and yes. stuff, but he's also not an educator or clinician, doesn't try to be. So there, there are a lot of the amazing autism advocates and neurodiversity advocates, especially self-advocates, talk about the autism experience um, and, and in very deep dive kind of, kind of ways. And that's incredible. Josh and I were talking about this yesterday, but um, we've, we've really concentrated a lot on reaching out to business, reaching out to 
the everyman, just the American household, whether you're, you're, you have a neurodiverse member in it or not. Um, em, employers, uh, Hollywood, there's been a huge thing. And I think that's con that kind of is our, our, our bread and butter because um, what, we, what we're doing is we're, we're stoked on inclusion, on where this is going, and we want to yeah. help um, pave that path. Um, and, and make neurodiversity something that, first of all, something that's not underlined in red uh, in Microsoft Word or Google Docs, something that people understand. You know what I mean? And, um, and I, this is, this is the, the path that we're using. And I, I, think, um, I think you make a good point and it's, it's a compliment, so thank you. And when you bring up like the Hollywoods and like the stuff how we're doing it, we, we also feel that, you know, like, Neurodiversity, I think in order for inclusion to fully happen, it has to be spoken about in a way, in a medium that like, everyone likes to understand. It, it can't be too dry, so it can't be like um, all the details from a textbook presented like that. The reason we're, we're trying, like, you know, kind of people Hollywood and stuff is because, you know, that's what gets into every single home. That's what people do, look to for entertainment and uh, getting, like, so many things what folks um, learn more about being entertained because all their energy is put in there. So if there's an um, educational message of advocacy in an entertainment form, you're going to receive it in a way which is totally different than if you're learning from like a lecture or just reading from a textbook because you're actually re you're retaining more of the information because you also you want to. I mean, do you, what do you remember more? Um, do you remember um, the stuff in your history textbook or do you remember like... Um, the, when you got to so, watch a movie, when they wheeled in the TV. Yeah, exactly. You remember the day <laughs> when they brought in the TV and the v VHS, and oh boy, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a good day. You, history, history remember when this was going to be a good day? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm going to say you are very wise, Grasshopper, because that's what I was going to say before you started, Josh. Uh, I think your strategy with these guests and going Hollywood this year um, is genius because that's very relatable. I have taught two different classes in the last seven days uh, within the, the coaching stuff for two different platforms, by the way, that related to the same story. And that was explaining, um, how do I explain this? And so it was like comparing the evolution of TV how it used to go from like these 30 minute individual stories to season long story arcs and how, how TV has gotten smarter and comparing that to a, a, an advocacy career or a speaking career or a public thought leadership career where we have to design these careers as if they're a story arc and have this one big story in place and pull these little mini stories from it that to tell a bigger story. Um, because that's what relates to people, right? TV relates to people, movies relates to people, media relates to people. So I think it's a really incredible strategy that you've been going with. And of course, it doesn't hurt that these are big names, you know, that you're pulling in. You guys are killing it. Thank you. We, we, we try. I think we need to all remember, and this is a message more to the audience here. We need to all remember that this is, this is a tribe, right? Like as of last year, you know, the three of us were in the same tribe together, along with everybody that I work with, along with everybody you work with. We kind of combine tribes and, and we need to help each other. You know, we're all here to do something good. You know, we're all here to change the game. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be 
in each other's purview. You know, we wouldn't have met each other if if we weren't all here for for the right reasons. And so, yeah, I still, you know, I can't believe it. It's been like, I, I think now it's been like a year since, like almost exactly that we've known you. I like, wow. Like I remember. So th- this is how I found out about the whole the whole TEDx thing. I went to Dave's office and he was like, "So what do you think about text?" And I'm just like okay sure because i i didn't really like understand that much about it and he's like you know i don't think we're gonna get this and like <laughs> i'm like oh okay um i had a feeling though because usually like when we, we end up trying with something we normally get it but um and then we got it but I, yeah that, i can't believe that was like a year ago so wow yeah that, and if you want to see a little bit about the journey and it and it does um, you know, shine a light on George a little bit. Um, check out on YouTube, Josh and Dave's TED Excellent Adventure. And it's also on our website on soundslikeautism.com. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little documentary on our on our journey. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a great video. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. So last but not least, um, George, you usually finish your podcast, The LaunchCast. Check it out anywhere where you get your podcast, The LaunchCast with George Andriopoulos. You usually finish with top threes. Um, and we think it's a really cool way to round out the show, and we're going to copy you today. So Good. we want your top three biggest successes. Go. So I'm going to say – Number one is the the transformation uh, nine or 10 years ago that began nine or 10 years ago, just going from, you know, this person that I had become to really back to me, back to who I was supposed to be. So that's not, that's number one. Um, number two, I'm just going to say my family is my biggest success. Um, you know, my two children now, my third coming on the way. Wow. Uh, my wife, Colleen, they are to me, just my proudest uh, success. It's what I, what I come home to every day, what's most important to me in my life. Um, and three, I would honestly say that it's really um, building my company, building Launchpad 516 and everything that has come from it. Um, it was the best decision I ever made um, in terms of career. I pivoted from a pharmacy career that I was in for 13 years uh, to become a management consultant. And then everything subsequently that came from that, you know, once the company became successful to be able to start a marketing agency, to be able to start all of this that I'm doing, the speaking, the podcasting, the coaching with the leadership experience. Um, so yeah, that's number three. This is, this was the one that caught me off guard last time. Very intimidating question, but you probably have it locked and loaded. Three greatest failures. Oh, my first marriage, my first marriage for sure. Um, oh man, no, not locked and loaded. I should have seen this coming. Um, I would say, um, being a disappointment to my potential, um, all those years ago. When I when I started the the transition uh, to who I am now, uh, so being a being a disappointment all those years ago to to myself and to to those close to me, um, 
was probably number two. And then um, I'm going to give you two because, honestly, uh, besides those two things, and those two, by the way, are because they affected other people. I don't care so much about myself because, and that's why I'm not going to give you a number three is because I don't really ever consider a mistake, a failure. Uh, I don't look at failures in a bad way, unless I hurt somebody else with my failure. I look at them as just lessons uh, in practice. That's actually what I really like about the question is that, you know, when you say greatest failures, it's not biggest failures necessarily. It's greatest as in like, the most the most pivotal for you or the most important and and that really got me thinking um because you know if, if anyone knows about trying and having to try again and again and again it's the community that's listening to this podcast oh absolutely and, you know and when we use the word failure we don't mean it in a negative way at all it's kind of just a casual way of speaking uh failure or failing or not or lack of gaining somewhere or getting somewhere is is not losing and it's not because of anyone's inability it's just it's a part of growth um and even if those the, that that growing is happening in really small ways and even if it's happening in unsatisfying ways doesn't mean it's not important and so i, I really like that um top three reasons to listen to sounds like autism i like this one the hosts, the amazing hosts, number one. Um, number two, the mission, right? It's, it's, it's too important not to listen to. And if you get that, then you get that. If you don't get it, then this show isn't for you at this moment. But maybe one day you'll get it. Uh, and number three, honestly, it really is an entertaining show. It's I don't just listen to it because it's you guys. It's it's entertaining, and you guys have grown so much. Go back. Here's a little exercise that I do sometimes with the coaching stuff. Go back and listen to episodes like one and two. I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. awkward. I've done that once in a while. Ago. It's so weird. I'm still very new, you know, to to this. I'm in season one still of the launch cast. We're we're recording episode 24 today. And even listening back with all the preparation that I did and everything, I listened to episode one, which was a great episode guest wise, but I'm just like, oh man, I didn't have my mojo yet. You know? Yeah. If you listen to the first, like I've listened to the first like 30 seconds of our first episode and (laughs) Josh is like, hi, it's me, Josh Mersky. And we're going to be talking about autism and neurodiversity. And he was, he just had not found his voice by like the fourth episode. We had Haley Moss on, who's become a really good friend. Okay. He's like, "Hey, it's me, Josh Mursky. I'm here." Yeah. Hey, <laughs> awesome! Um, Welcome, our, everybody. <laughs> la- 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 lastly, to wrap up, three things you want to plug right now. Oh. <laughs> Number one is you got to buy those SLA t-shirts and hats, guys, because, again, I've said this on my show, but Dave's got a kid. Josh might have kids out there. <laughs> Come on. These guys need to earn a little. No, no. Yeah, check uh, it out on soundslikeautism.com. Thanks, George. Okay. <laughs> so real number one is right here. What's well, behind me? The Leadership Experience. Uh, it is my new coaching platform. We're just wrapping up the first cohort. It is 
incredible. Oh my God, we've had so much fun. It's basically a leadership coaching class, six weeks, six modules, where we go through the unconventional journey of leadership and we learn how to not only discover, but to craft our mission statements. Um, And along with that, there's add-on tracks for entrepreneurs, for just people in, in their careers. There's the public thought leader track, which is for speakers, writers, social influencers, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, community activists. And the newest track, which I'm so excited about, is the podcast experience. It's the most robust track on here now, um, right there. And I'm co-teaching it with the man himself, Mark Cordone. We're doing this one together. And it's basically your guide to building a podcast, not just from the technical side, but from the content side, there's mm-hmm. interview 101, there's the whole deal. So we're so excited about that. So that's, uh, that's number one. Number two, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, number two is, of course, my company, Launchpad 516 Management Consulting and Marketing Agency. Uh, so we fix broken companies. Um, in essence, I'm a corporate turnaround guy. So company that's having issues, especially right now with Coming back from COVID, we're doing some incredible stuff with AI actually for predictive work uh, on how to come back. Really, really cool stuff, cutting edge stuff. Um, that's number two. And I don't know, do I have a three? Uh, the leadership experience, this. Oh, the, the launch cast, of course. The launch cast. There you go. At this time. Woo! So the launch cast is. The, I'm going to say the co-greatest podcast on the planet, along with Sounds Like Autism, but no, the LaunchCast is an interview show. It's a conversational interview show based on leadership. We interview new guests every single week, uh, leaders, unconventional leaders, and we dig deep into leadership. It's entertaining. It's good interviews. And uh, that's it. That's my three. Excellent. All right. It's a really good podcast, folks. You, yeah, I mean, it's really, great. Like, check it out. Even really if you're, is, you want to be a, I, I would say even if you're not trying to be a leader, uh, you know, you, your definition of leader or leadership might be um, a little too specific. And, and I think it's important to listen to for personal growth. I think, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really cool kind of self-reflective um, thing to listen to because you start asking yourself some really interesting questions. Um, yeah, and, sure. and again, kind of a lot like SLA, it's accessible. It's not boring. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. As, you, as, as, as illustrated by our guest today, George. By the way, I want to go back to what you were saying about your, your early episodes. The one thing I'll point out about your early episodes is the sound quality. Of yeah, of course. <laughs> and now it's right back down because of COVID. And yeah, we just up. got this great sound equipment and bam. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on, George. <laughs> Text us. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, guys. All right. It was a pleasure.